Morning. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you again for all the many good things that you've given us, for your mercy to us. Pray for our church that you would bless it. We pray for everyone who's sick, that they would get better. We pray that sickness would not be spreading through our church. Um, Pray for all the babies that you've given us, both inside and outside of their mother's womb. We thank you for the Solzer twins and the Long baby and the Abram baby and the May baby. Pray that you'd bless them. Please bless our mothers who are with child, Chris and Heather and Michaela and Lauren. Thank you for your mercy to us as a church. Thank you for everything that you've given us. And I pray that you would bless me as I bring the word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are continuing in our American Gods series, talking about all the different various philosophies and ideas that are big in our modern Western American culture, many of which compete with Christ. And today we are talking about the American God of entertainment. So movies, books, plays, TV, sports, TikTok, whatever. It is very easy as American Christians to feel weird, to feel tension about our entertainment choices. I was just remembering, when I was a teenager, I used to watch absolutely everything, all the movies. And it didn't matter whether they were good, whether they were bad, whether they were chick flicks or whatever. I watched it, including things that were terrible. Like I didn't have any filter. I would just watch whatever came out. And lame, loser adults used to say the following phrase to me all the time. They'd be like, would you want to watch that if Jesus was sitting next to you in the theater? And I'd be like, okay, that's a lame thing that adults say. And I never really gave it much thought. And then one day, and I swear this really happened, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was standing in line for a horrible movie, Uh, you know, zombie holocaust five, that kind of thing. And I'm waiting in line and I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, and and suddenly this little old lady comes hobbling up to me and she's an actual little old lady from real life. The oldest, like she's 400 years old. She goes to our church, she's super godly. She's like the most holy little old lady, little old lady that there ever was. And she went to our church and in my dream, This little old lady comes hobbling up and she's on her cane and, you know, oh, Nathan, what movie are you going to see? Uh, I don't know. What movie are you going to see, Mrs. Jones? Oh, I'm going to see the G-rated good thing, but uh, what are you seeing? Uh, Zombie Holocaust 5. Oh, well, that sounds interesting. Maybe I'll join you. And she she shuffles into line. And I'm like, well, I don't know if this is really your thing. Oh, no, no, Nathan, I trust your judgment. This will be good. And, and then the dream goes on. And it's just like this lame, boring dream where I'm, I'm sitting in line or I'm standing in line. And I'm like, ah, oh, what am I? Is there a way I can? Should, should I like pretend to have a heart attack? Like, how can I get out of this? And then we go into the theater and then we sit down and we're sitting in the row and the movie's going to start and the theater's packed and everybody's there and amped for Zombie Holocaust 5 and, and, and Mrs. Jones is just trusting me that she's going to have a one. Oh, you know about movies, Nathan? And 
I woke up, no, in a cold sweat. It was an actual nightmare that I had. And I don't know whether God sends dreams the way that he does, you know, to Joseph, flee to Egypt, that kind of thing. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. That's not the purpose of this sermon. But I do know he was sovereign over the fact that I had that dream. And that dream has stuck with me. Like, I I think about that all the time. Like, oh, I, I don't think what would happen if Jesus was sitting next to me while I was watching such and such a movie. But I do think what would happen if Mrs. Jones was sitting next to me, which somehow is much more easy to relate to. So that's a place where I felt tension about entertainment, still do in some ways. But it is something that we all have to navigate because we all consume a lot of entertainment. I mean, how much do you think the average American adult spends per year on entertainment? Does anyone want to take a guess? The average adult spends $3,568 a year, or about 300 bucks a month on entertainment. That includes fees for admission to concerts or events, equipment like television, subscriptions like Netflix. It actually does not include reading material, so that does not include your novels or your Kindle, or whatever, if you like to read. Uh, Entertainment is actually number six in what we spend our money on. So housing is number one. Everybody likes to have a roof over their head. Transportation is number two. People like to get to where they're going. Uh, Food, people like to eat. That's number three. Insurance, people like to be covered if something bad happens. Healthcare, obviously. And then... Number six out of all the things that it could be, entertainment. So just statistically speaking, most people in this room probably consume plenty of entertainment one way or another. And it's really easy to feel tension about the entertainment that we consume. Again, whether it's movies, books, TV, social media, podcasts, whatever. Uh, It's easy to feel tension because we don't know how much is too much. I love to have my child watch TV. She's hypnotized by it, and then I can do other things. It's really nice. The TV's a wonderful babysitter. I make no apologies for that, but I do feel guilty every time. Like, oh, it's going to rot her brain. I don't know what that means, but people say that, and I believe it. Uh, How much is too much? If she stands too close, will her eyes start to cross? Uh, it's easy to feel tension about entertainment because many of the companies that provide it are quite simply wicked, or they have a lot of wicked people who stand against the things that we as Christians stand for, who, do, who don't want to obey Jesus. Uh, it's easy to feel inter- tension about entertainment because we want it to belong to us. Like if you have your favorite form of entertainment, the kind of movie you like to watch or the podcast you like to listen to or the book or the magazine or whatever, you know... It's a little bit like you're on a diet, but you don't want to give up the one Coke that you have with lunch. And someone will be like, you really need to give up the Coke. No, listen, I go to the gym, I work out, I I eat all the right food, I'm taking the supplements, I'm doing everything, now let me have my Coke. And and you kind of feel that way about whatever you're, you know, if, if, if you do have any guilty conscience about anything that you give yourself, your favorite song, your favorite movie, you know, it's, it's kind of like that. I have dedicated my life to Jesus. Now can I listen to dad rock? Can I, can I have, you know, who cares? 
It's easy to feel tension about entertainment because it's one of the places where it just takes discernment. The Bible does not say, thou mayest not watch thy R-rated movies, thou mayest watch thy PG. It doesn't clarify things like that. Thou mayest watch the NBA, thou mayest not watch the NFL, thou mayest not rejoice when billionaires give concussions unto one another. That, that is not something that the Bible spells out for us. So we have to use our brains. We have to take the, the big law of the Bible and apply it specifically. And just like any other discernment issue where the Bible isn't super clear, it's really easy to think that the thing that we do is the right thing and the thing that everyone else does is terrible. I mean, there are so many non-essential places in the Christian walk where we're tempted to judge each other, even outside of entertainment. I have young children, so I'm very aware of things like some people schedule their breastfeeding, some people don't schedule their breastfeeding, some people do homeschool, some people do private school, some people do public school. And you, ah, those dirty public schoolers, or ah, those snobby Christian schoolers. We look down at each other. People do organic food versus affordable food. When, when do you give your teenagers a, a smartphone? All kinds of stuff. And we, we, we make these principles like my, whatever I decide about those things, I'm right, I'm godly. Whatever you decide about those things, eh, maybe you should read your Bible. It, it's, we, we make these judgments. And entertainment is one of those big places, right? There's Christians who enjoy their freedom in Christ to watch Disney Plus. It's fine. I grew up with it. My seven bucks is not going to change the company one way or another. There's Christians who... Ah, I stopped watching Disney Plus when that evil organization started being LGBTQ, started being woke. I wouldn't give a dime to them. Amen. <laughs> and then there's Christians who's like, who are like, huh, that's nice. Not watching Disney now that it's LGBTQ, whatever. Too bad it's not like the good old days when Disney was about a mermaid in a seashell bikini disobeying her father. I gave up Disney 40 years ago. There's Christians who refuse to play sports on Sunday, but do watch them. Christians who don't do anything with sports on Sunday. Christians who refuse to waste their time on the immaturity that is video games. Christians who exercise their Christian freedom to, I play Super Mario with my son. It's a bonding thing, whatever. Uh, there's Christians who listen to secular music. And they, ah, you know, it, okay, the lyrics are dirty, but I'm just like the beat. There's Christians who only listen to opera because they want their dirty lyrics to be in Italian and sung by a fat lady. I knew a guy who refused to watch any violent movies, but he loved to watch boxing. And so as long as someone was actually punching someone and making blood come out of their face, he was fine with it. But if someone was pretending to punch someone and make blood come out of their face, he really looked down on that. And if you tried to point out the irony, you know, he'd... How dare you impugn the noble art of pugilism? This is... Yeah. Now, am I saying that everybody's kind of right and we all just need to find our own truth and we all need to have charity? Well, yes and no. In some sense, we do, we, of course, we do need to have charity. And then we are going to land in some different places, and that's okay. But also, some of us are wrong. Some of us are wrong. We're supposed to say no to our flesh. And sometimes a more mature brother or sister in Christ needs to say to 
a less mature brother and sister in Christ, like, hey, I know you like to watch Zombie Holocaust 5, but eh, it's pretty clear that's not godly. It's easy to feel tension about entertainment because, as I said, not everything's straightforward. We're going to reach some different conclusions, but we do need to make real moral choices with our entertainment, and we need to call each other to make real moral choices while having grace and charity, while using discernment, while maybe making some different choices. Very easy to feel tension about all of that. So I just want to make three points today. Number one, entertainment does take up a lot of our life, and it does form our character, so we do need to be moral in our entertainment choices. That's point number one. Number two, the Bible does actually provide some very simple rules to do so. And then number three, I just want to give us a few tools to kind of apply those rules in a wise way. So, number one, entertainment dominates and determines our lives. We really do, because there might be people in here that are thinking, well, you know, I'm not, I actually spend most of my time working. I don't do entertainment. Well, if you just define entertainment as anything we give our time to primarily for pleasure, primarily for relaxation, primarily for amusement, I think we've all got one. For me, it is movies. I love movies. For, like, my Aunt Kathy, like, for a whole generation of housewives when I was a little kid. It was novels. It was Tom Clancy and uh, Stephen King, and she'd always have the new Grisham. I, I don't, probably everybody had an Aunt Kathy who just had a shelf full of the latest whatever. Uh, for Christian novels, they don't read those, but they do read Dostoevsky or Tolstoy or whatever. They read classic. They read good fiction, right? For some people, it's audiobooks or podcasts. For some people, it's sports. For some of it's, it's TV shows. I mean, I remember I got a, my first white-collar job around the time that TV was really coming into its own. And so people would come in and they'd stand around the water cooler and they'd gossip, but they'd be gossiping about fake people. They'd be like, did you hear about what the dragon lady on Game of Thrones did last night? I can't believe it. And those were most of the conversations that people had. For some people, it's video games, board games, music, certainly music. For some people, it's a hobby. For some people, it's news and politics. I mean, you might think, I only listen to news and politics to learn about the world. But there's some people that that's what they do to relax. The thing that relaxes them the most, the thing that amuses them the most, is to be angry about how terrible the world is. And so they want to listen to their, their podcast or whatever. For some people, it's learning, actually. It's like, I want to listen to an audio book or... Uh, uh, I, I like that stretchy feeling in my mind that I used to get in high school or college, and I just want to go back to that, so I'm going to learn and be smart. And all that stuff's fine when it's good. There, there you will note, notice in this sermon there is nothing that is like entertainment is just bad, because I don't think that's in the Bible. But our entertainment does mold our character. And when I was, I don't know how old I was, but Columbine happened, the first really big school shooting. There had been school shootings and people going on rampages and stuff before that, but for whatever reason, Columbine really struck the public imagination. And one of the big debate points that was going back and forth, and you'd see these think pieces and stuff like that, was did violent movies and violent shooting games make these guys do what they did. And you'd have the one 
group of people that would say, yes, you realize this stuff has a real impact. It's desensitizing. The military has people play violent video games so that they can get used to the idea of shooting a bullet into someone. Of course it has an effect. And then you'd have other people saying, oh, okay, I play first-person shooters. I watch these movies. I didn't go shoot up a school. Like, come on. And that was a big deal. Well, what does the Bible say about that kind of thing? Let's just look at a few representative passages. Proverbs 4:23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Philippians 4:8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The Bible tells us over and over again to guard our hearts, to guard what we give our minds, what we give our thoughts, what we give our attention to. And why is that? Well, it is because our actions, our actions that lead towards life or towards death do come out of our hearts. Life and death flow from what is in your heart, right? So it is a big deal. It is pretty clearly in the Bible a big deal what you read, what you listen to, what you give yourself to, what you give your mind to, right? The question isn't, will such and such a thing make me shoot up my school? Will listening to this one song with bad lyrics make me fornicate? The question is much more down to earth than that. The question is, will this piece of entertainment tend towards life or tend towards death in my life? Will it move the the needle on the dial, this way or that way? Because it does add up, right? If all you ever do is give yourself to bloodlust in your entertainment, it will have some kind of an impact. If all you ever do is give yourself to wicked sexuality, it will have some kind of an impact. And just like we talked about over and over again back in our summer Proverbs series, if you were here for that, you reap what you sow. And so if you get to be a little bit older, you get to be going into something like middle age, you start to see these stories play out and you start to realize there is cause and effect, right? I mean, there were girls in my Christian high school who listened to all the songs about fornication. It would have been like Britney Spears or something at that time. And they were, in fact, weirdly, the same girls that went and got knocked up as soon as they were out of high school. I knew a kid who was into anime and Japanese stuff. And, into some, and the thing about Japanese stuff is it can be really, not all of it, but some of it can be really sexually depraved in a way that's more advanced than even us in America, advanced in a bad way. And it can be really mm, gender fluid, shall we say, androgynous. And he actually ended up becoming a she. He transitioned. And do I think, he watched anime, therefore he transitioned? No, I don't think it's one-to-one -one like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. But was there a connection? I mean, you could say like chicken and egg, like maybe he was already headed in that bad direction, so he watched things that fed that part of himself. Still not good that he fed that part of himself, right? It matters. You see these things play out. You see it play out in your own life. And 
Somebody will probably come up to me after this, maybe they won't put it this directly, but usually if I give any, like this kind of talk, somebody will come up to me and say, basically, okay, but sometimes I just really want to enjoy something and not think too hard about it. Thanks for taking that away from me. And my answer to that would be, then go be not a Christian. I mean, quite honestly, there are plenty of religions that don't call their adherents to be discerning in every part of their lives. But we are called to be discerning, even about something as relatively small as our entertainment choices. Does that mean I can never relax and just enjoy anything? No. I hope you relax and enjoy lots of things. Just think critically about them for like four seconds before you do and say no to a couple of bad ones. I mean, I guess it does feel a little threatening, me saying this, right? Like, I want to suck all the joy out of your life and make you see the devil in everything. Like, I can't pull up Netflix and scroll through it without seeing that everything has something bad in it, right? But this is always Satan's tactic all the way back to Genesis, the book of Genesis, when Satan comes to Eve. The first time we meet Satan in the Bible, his tactic is, he doesn't say, has God really said you may not eat that one fruit from that one tree? He says, has God really said you may not eat of any tree in the garden? Which is a wild exaggeration. God did not say that. God is not a killjoy. He wanted them to eat lots of fruit from lots of trees. He just did not want them to eat this one fruit from this one tree. But Satan does that all, this, all the time. He says, hey, the negative part of this, the no, is huge. And the stuff that you can still enjoy is so small. And certainly with a topic like this, I think he does it. Well, if I was ever really discerning, I just wouldn't be able to enjoy anything. We don't, we don't, we're not so gauche as to actually say that to ourselves out loud, but that's kind of what we think. But no, we should enjoy things. We should enjoy entertainment. There's plenty for us to enjoy. Let's just be moral. And so, okay, how do we do that? How do we be discerning? Well, the Bible provides a few simple rules. Ten of them, in fact. Exodus 20, I'm not going to read every one of these in detail, but you guys know the Ten Commandments, right? You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's everything. The Ten Commandments is a, you know, God is kind. He actually doesn't give us thousands of rules that we have to memorize. And, oh, was I breaking this? And how did, no. There's 10 of them that sum up everything, right? If you just took those 10 rules, those 10 commandments, and and started to ask yourself, well, does a piece of entertainment, a song, a movie, a book, whatever, does it celebrate the breaking of one of these rules? Does it make me want to break one of these rules? I guess it's probably bad. Does it uphold one of these rules? Does it make me happy about one of these commandments? It's probably good. But, but, but here again, this is where it gets really complicated, right? Because especially when it comes to narrative entertainment, movies and books and things like that, stories, a story can be about something without actually saying that it's a good thing, right? Like the Bible has stories of murder and adultery and things worse than that in it, but the Bible is not 
celebrating those things. It's not making you want to do those things. It's using those things to a good end. And a movie or a novel can be like that, right? Uh, Jake, in our Christmas series, I think it was, he quoted from the novel Anna Karenina, which is one of his favorites and one of my favorites. And that's a novel, of course, about an adulterous affair. But it doesn't make you want to commit adultery. Now, let me make it even more complicated because it can have the right moral, but then it can show it in the wrong way. Like somebody could make a movie about Anna Karenina, and I don't think that they have that I know of, but they could, they could do it like this. It could have the same moral as the novel, which is adultery is bad, Anna's gonna, bad things will happen to her. Uh, but we're gonna film it with lots of provocative sex scenes and nudity or whatever, stuff like that. And so we're gonna have the right moral, but we're gonna show it in the wrong way. Our movie's gonna say that adultery is bad, but then it's gonna, in another place in the movie, ask us to indulge in it. So that's an additional complication. And then there's another, even additional complication on top of that. Because maybe something is good in and of itself, but it hits me personally, subjectively, in a way that's pretty bad. Maybe I'm really tempted to commit adultery for whatever reason, I'm really weak. And so Anna Karenina might be the greatest novel of all time, but I have no business reading it because it's bad for me. It would be stupid for me to then say no one else can read it, but I need to have the self-awareness to say it's bad for me. These are deep matters. It can take some navigating, some thinking, some, some critical thinking skills, right? Discernment. Let me give us some pointers to help us navigate all of this in a discerning way. So I want to give us basically three tools, but first let me say something that is a bad tool or not a tool, something that you should not do and that a lot of people are tempted to do when they think about these kinds of topics. And that is draw a line in the sand right here and say everything over here is bad and everything over here is good. And so an example of that might be like, R-rated movies are bad, PG-rated movies are good. New books, bestsellers are bad, old classic books written by dead people are good. Old music is bad, or nobody would do that. New music is bad, old music is good. We just don't do sports because they're bad. Over here, it's good. We don't do... There, there might be a reason in your life to draw a line. You know, I don't actually... If somebody says, ah, we just don't give our money to Disney, that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about here. There are choices that you can make for one reason or another. But if you make those choices and then you think your job is done, that's where you can really get into trouble. And I have just seen this over and over and over and over again. Uh, growing up in a conservative Christian environment, I knew a lot of kids who were sheltered like that. Their parents would say no to TV. They just like, they didn't have a TV in their home. And then they'd just be allowed to read whatever book they wanted. And inevitably that kid would find the smuttiest books. And maybe those smutty books would be written by a Roman in, you know, the early BC times. They wrote some bad stuff back then, right? Uh, I, I, parents would protect their, you know, we don't have magazines, we don't, uh, we would never let our kids 
look at immodest pictures. And then they would find all the naked ladies in like the Renaissance painting books. I mean, I know that's super lame, but people are sinners and they find ways to sin. We don't watch R-rated movies and then they just like watch every wicked PG-13 rated movie, of which there are some, right? I mean, I knew kids who weren't allowed to do anything worldly, nothing pop culture, no Star Wars, no video games, nothing. And, and again, I don't want to make anyone feel bad for the choices they've made to protect their family. Please make those choices. But if that was just where someone drew the line and then they didn't give it any more thought, I never saw that turn out well. Just my experience. A lot of those kids, as soon as they got out of the house, they just went nuts with worldliness because their parents had turned everything into a kind of a delicious forbidden fruit. Ooh, what's a movie like? Or these kids were just naive, like they were susceptible to the world's lies because they'd never, they'd never dealt with them in any form. They'd never actually had any experience. It's like, I don't want to get my kid to, I don't want my kid to be hurt, so I'm never going to let him pick up any heavy weights. Well, what do you get? A weak kid. Kids need opportunities to think and to judge and to learn discernment in an age-appropriate kind of way. You remove all of those at your own peril, I think. And the other, the biggest problem with that philosophy, that, that sort of mindset, we're just going to protect ourselves from everything, is they were hypervigilant to see the evil out there, but they tended to forget about the evil in here. You know, it's so easy to say, well, we don't watch Disney. We don't do this. We don't do that. So we're good. And no, you're not. No, you're not. You have great wickedness in, in yourself. And you have to be aware of that. You have to be able to navigate that with maturity and discernment. So again, not saying you can never say a categorical no. I think oftentimes, for whatever reason, it is good to say categorical no to things. In our house, we just don't X. But you have to do that with discernment. And you, you may not think, well, we don't do X, therefore my job is done. No more thinking, no more discernment. I've done all my thinking up front. Now I'm good. You're not. Okay, so that's the wrong way to do it. What's the right way to do it? Well, let me give us three tools. Tool number one, simply ask yourself, what are the assumptions behind this movie? What are the assumptions behind this song? What are the assumptions behind this book? What did the person who made this have to believe in order to make it? Really simple question. If you've ever gone to Christian school, they, you know, they might do like a worldview class or whatever. Uh, and I hate that word. But it is a good question to ask yourself. You know, the people who made The Little Mermaid, well, they assumed that if a father does not let his daughter do whatever she wants, then he's kind of a jerk. And if he did just let her do what she wants, then she wouldn't be tempted to go to an octopus witch and ruin everything. And so he, he should have just, you know, let her marry Prince Eric. Like, that's the operating assumption behind the movie. Is it good? Is it bad? Are some fathers overbearing? I don't know. Think about it. Beauty and the Beast assumes that the real monsters are not people who look ugly, but people who are proud and vain and use antlers in all of their decorating. Is that true? Is it false? I don't know. Worth asking. The Lion King assumes that 
a boy should assume responsibility, embrace the responsibility that's been given him instead of hanging out with his friends, eating bugs. Is that true? Is that false? Is that a good assumption to bring to this story? It ain't rocket science, right? But, there are, but the reason I'm including this as a tool, even though it seems really obvious, is because there are places where maybe some of your consciences are pricked. You're like, I don't really want to think too hard about that thing. And this is the Coke that I just want to have. Because I'm working really hard for Jesus over here, so can I just have some delicious Coke? All right, tool number two. You got to learn to see the stories within the story. And I'm not just talking about movies. I'm talking about anything, sports, whatever. You, you can't just look at the building. You got to look at the individual bricks, the pillars, the things that went in to making it, the component parts. So anything, any piece of art or entertainment that you're consuming, it has components, right? But it also has the big picture. Like, this movie is the story of how Luke Skywalker became a Jedi, defeated the bad guys. This sporting event is about these two teams, and they've got a ball, and one of them wants to win, and the other one does too. Uh, this song is about how Aretha Franklin thinks you should respect her. Like, those are the big things, right? But whether it's a song, a movie, podcast, whatever, you can't just say, well, there's the big thing. Is it good or is it bad? You got to look at the component parts. So a movie has like what? Like shots and music and editing and acting and little parts of the story, scenes. A song has music and lyrics and rhythm. A sport has the game, but then you have the personalities of the players, but then you have the personalities of the announcers. And then you have the, the, the people in the crowd and the halftime show and the ads. Every one of those things has its own moral, has its own story to tell, right? I don't know if anybody would have, but did anybody see that new Avatar movie? Anybody? Leo? You're the only one. Okay, well, is everybody familiar with Avatar, the blue cat people? Leo, you know the blue cat people? And so you know that in the movie, it's actually got a story that a lot of conservative Christians would respond to. It's about a family man, and he's got his wife, and she's like his helpmate, and they've got their kids, and they're just working to protect their family. Right, Leo? Sully's stick together. Absolutely. So that's like the big picture of the movie. It's actually not a terrible message. But then you start thinking about the component parts, and the component parts are like, well, we're really focusing on a lot of cat people body parts, and that's not very helpful. And uh, this wife character is like killing all these people, and she's actually not very ladylike, even though the big story is ladylike, like this individual scene where she's murdering everybody isn't really very ladylike. And, and so, again, not rocket science, but just what, what I see a lot of people doing, what a lot of people do, they're like, What's the big picture? Is it good? Is it bad? It's like, no, look at the component parts. And you don't have to be like a movie expert to do that. You just think a little bit. Like, what went into this? What are the different storytelling things here? An example that we like to use on our podcasts is the Indiana Jones soundtrack. People like Indiana Jones? Where are my Indiana Jones heads? Yay, okay. So the Indiana Jones has this component called the music 
of Indiana Jones. And we all know the Indiana Jones music, right? Da, 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 da. And it's really heroic. And Indiana Jones is this great hero and he's going to save the day and fight for America or whatever. And the music tells you, the music tells its own story. The story is Indiana Jones is awesome. And then you take a step back and think about who Indiana Jones actually is. Well, number one, he's a fornicator. He always has a different lady in those movies. Uh, number two, he's kind of a racist. Like he's robbing these graves and he's taking their antiquities and then putting them in American museums. I don't know if, I mean, I don't think that that's cool personally. Um, call me woke. Uh, he is willing to risk his own lives and kill lots of people in order for this antique thing to happen. Like, he's not saving America. He's trying to get a little gold cross or something, and he's, like, murdering people. Now, is my goal today to make it so you cannot enjoy Indiana Jones? No, I love Indiana Jones. But my goal is to make you think for four seconds about the disconnect between the music, da, 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 and this guy, bah, 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 die, 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 here's my treasure. Thanks, indigenous people. Just notice, just, just activate your brain, you know. Uh, Billie Jean has a really cool beat, really cool, sorry, all my references are from the 80s. But uh, Billie Jean has a cool beat, but if you actually listen to the lyrics, it's like, you impregnated me and you won't own your baby. He's not my son, or whatever, you know. Two different things. Music is telling one story. Uh, lyrics are telling another story. So see the story within the story. Think about the component parts. Just spend a little time thinking about it. Uh, tool number three, learn to recognize your own temptations. Have some self-awareness about who you are and what you bring to it. If you are a man, especially a younger man, you might really be tempted to give your bloodlust a pass. You might just be okay with a level of violence that you shouldn't be. If you're a girl, you might be tempted to, uh, you know, get emotional fulfillment out of, like, Tom Hanks is such a better boyfriend or husband than my actual boyfriend or husband could ever be. Maybe you get angry really easily, so you don't need to listen to podcasts that just make you angry without actually giving you anything to do besides give money to the podcast people who make you angry. I, 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 I like... I listen to Ben Shapiro sometimes, so whatever you think I'm picking on, I'm not. Um, maybe you're just like such a lame man, male type person that you're watching a sporting event and then they cut to the cheerleaders for three seconds and you're like, eh, you perk up. It's good to kind of be aware of that and uh, make provision. I think there's a bad way you can do that. You can be so like, what are my temptations? That you kind of end up just indulging in them by thinking about them. But having a basic self-awareness, like where, what is the chemical, chemical combination of this thing and me? And is it good? That's just a good question to ask yourself. Finally, what this all is really about is we need to be practicing discernment. Hebrews 5.14 says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It is a good thing to practice discernment. I think if you just take one thing away from this sermon, that's it. Practice. And maybe you're not actually very good. Maybe you, like, let's say you had never played tennis in your life, and you'd never seen tennis in your life, and 
you're like a malformed, like a uh, hunchback person who's bad at really not made to play tennis. And so your form, and you don't have a coach, so your form is terrible. If you got out there every day with your racket and started hitting the ball over the net in a year, in five years, in 10 years, you would actually, with all your weaknesses, with all the things that you brought to it, be better at tennis. And when it comes to wisdom issues and discernment issues, some of us have real weaknesses that we bring, real deformities, right? Our consciences are weak. We weren't taught the scriptures when we were younger. Our intuition is off base, whatever. Practice, practice, and you will get better. We are supposed to practice discernment. So that's, that's why I keep saying, just think three seconds before you turn on the thing or listen to the thing. Just, that's all. And say no to some stuff, right? Say no to a few things. Have something in your life that you can point to that you say, well, the culture really loves this song or this movie or this book, but I don't do it because I'm a Christian. And then we can haggle about like, well, you know, what about this thing? What about that? But at least be able to point to something. This is like a standard piece of advice that I say to young men, especially, because a lot of Christian young men from where I come from, we're always finding like really discerning reasons why it was actually really godly for them to watch this terrible movie because it was, we need to learn about the depravity of our culture or, uh, you know. Uh, and I would just say, okay, fine, you convinced me, you watch that. But can you point to something that you don't watch? Because if you have a reason why it's okay for everything, then I'm going to start suspecting that maybe you're not Mr. Discernment over here. Maybe you just like worldly stuff. So be able to point to something, anything that you gave up for, for Jesus. Make some choices, give it a little thought, and, and realize, of course, that character is contagious. You hang out with somebody enough, there's a good chance you're going to catch their character. So be with discerning and wise people and let it rub off on you. If you like a certain thing, if you're a movie guy or a sports guy or whatever, find godly people to do that thing with, to enjoy that thing with, to talk about, about it with. And, and some of their godliness will rub off. The lie of Satan is that the more we conform ourselves to God's character, the less fun we'll have. And I think it really is about that basic. It's not like, your life will be miserable. It's just like, you won't have fun. And we're like, oh, that sounds miserable. Like, we're that easy. And it's not true. I'm, I'm here to testify it's not true. As I myself have given more of my life to Jesus by God's grace. It's true that in some ways my life is worse. I mean, in some ways I have more cares, I have more concerns, I have more troubles, I have more sufferings, I have more on my plate. But it's equally an opposite and even more infinitely true that I have so much more joy than I've ever had. The more things that I am willing to just give to God, I have more joy and I still enjoy lots of stuff. So, if your conscience was pricked by anything I say, if you did think, oh, well, he's got me there, then I would encourage you to give up that or give up some of that and, and see if the author of joy doesn't have your back. Like, see if your life isn't better, if you aren't more happy having, having obeyed God. It's like what Jake's been talking about this whole time in Romans, right? 
We are called from slavery to the law into freedom in Christ. And so that freedom in Christ means, yippee, I get to not watch this. And it really, it really is that. It really is, oh, cool. I get to make a choice for Christ. And God's going to pay me back. There's nothing I can give up that he's not going to pay me back in this world and the next. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for giving us discernment, for giving us consciences. I pray that you would help us to be wise in the choices that we make in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.